Hey everybody and welcome to the Living with Power Hope podcast. My name is Lena Abajemra and I'm your host. It is uh, great to have you back with us if you've been here before and if you're new, welcome. We're glad that you checked in with us. This is a place where we share biblical truth for everyday life. Our hope is that you grow in the knowledge of God and that you continue to stand strong in a world that is shaken. And so this summer we are running a teaching series that I've put together called the Unshaken Series. It is an awesome teaching series and uh, one of the most popular teachings that I've done. It uh, focuses each week on a different Bible character, a man or woman that has stood strong in faith no matter the difficult circumstances they were in. I know that you're gonna find hope and healing with each of the weeks that will cover a different episode. And so uh, if you wanna know more about our ministry, check out livingwithpower.org. And by the way, when you land on our page, check out our speaking page. And if you are looking for a person to come and teach uh, or lead a conference at your church or uh, group gathering, then please reach out. We'd love to meet you in person. In the meantime, sit back, relax, and listen to today's teaching in the Unshaken series. We are in the uh, beginning now of lesson 15 in our series, uh, Strong in Faith No Matter What, Unshaken is the name of the series. And I love Elijah. In fact, uh, 1 Kings 17 is the first place in scripture where you see anything about this man, Elijah. And Elijah is one of the great prophets of the Old Testament. He's one of the two prophets who didn't die per se. Like he was, and then he was no more. And then there was another guy in the Old Testament, Enoch, who walked with God and then he was no more. And, and so uh, Moses is the other one who sort of was taken up by God. And so Elijah that man too. Um, very fascinating man and very human. In fact, James talks about him in the New Testament as being very, having a nature like ours. And when you read a story, there's at the beginning, you kind of go, no way, he's nothing like us. And yet you're going to see as you get into the next teaching that we're going to do on Elijah that no, in fact, he's very much like us, but he had a distinctive, he was a man of prayer. And we're going to see that so powerfully. But so today the teaching I've called uh, every week, we look at a different aspect of standing strong and unshaken. Today it's unshaken when the river dries up, when the river dries up. And so I want you just already to start thinking about your life. What in your life might look like it's drying up right now? And man, the examples are many. There's so many demographics. It's watching this teaching right now. There's, there are so many people with all kinds of trials and tribulations where we look at an area in our life where you might have seven, eight, nine perfect areas in your life, but there's one where you just feel like, man, it just feels like, like I used to have a flow of water and now it's gone. We're going to see what that means in the text, but let me read you a little bit. Uh, I'll start reading a few verses, then I'll stop, give you the first point, and then we'll move on and read some more. As opposed to what I've done in the past few weeks, reading the whole text and going back and doing the application. Today, I'll break it up into sections. And so, we pick up the reading, and, and I'll put in the cultural context in a minute, but we've got now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishba, so the scriptures explains that this is a man from Tishba, in Gilead, said to Ahab, and we're going to see Ahab is the king. Uh, in fact, I'll tell you a little bit about Ahab. He's the seventh king of Israel. Now, last week we talked about David, remember? And so we spent a few weeks with David. We could have spent a year with David. I love the man David. Um, but but we um, uh, saw that David had a son, Saul. we actually didn't look at Solomon, but he had a son, Solomon, who, you know, it's interesting, generational legacies. You know, some of you who are watching are a little older. My mom talks about this a lot. Like, what will the next generation look like? And, and we worry about how will the faith get passed on? Well, when you study the king, 
kings of Israel, it's really kind of discouraging and depressing in some ways, but it might also be encouraging because you're going to see like they're very much like us. Like you hope uh, that you're passing on uh, godliness, but it, within a couple of generations, like it's like it's bad. And and so David has Solomon. Solomon has um, his son Rehoboam, who right away Rehoboam, it's like he just doesn't walk in the ways of his fathers. And then the kingdom splits. You've got you know one unified strong kingdom under David and under Solomon. And then after that next generation, it just splits into Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And then Israel has uh, Jeroboam and then other kings. And you get to the seventh king of Israel, starting with David, Solomon, Rehoboam, and then you follow through. And then you get to Ahab is the son of Omri. He's the seventh king of Israel. So calculating a generation is what, 20 to 30 years. You've got about 100, 150 years since David, right? So just to give you some context, what happens in that 100 years is astounding. The people of Israel are, are worshiping the Baal gods. These are the people that we studied not long ago that had left Egypt, that had seen God mightily, powerfully. Remember, they barely made it 40 days into the wilderness before their faith gave. But now we see them in, in 1 Kings 17, and the state of affairs in the entire land is, is not good. In fact, uh, that's why Elijah shows up on the scene and calls for a famine. And he's, it's a famine that, he, uh, that God spoke to him about. In fact, in James, if I just cross-reference it, as, and I'll go back to our second Kings, but in James, we're told that um, about Elijah, that he was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. All right, so that's that Elijah. Here, this is how his story starts in the midst of this Horrible time to be alive for the people of Israel because they've deviated from the ways of God. It's funny, we talk now about being a post-Christian culture. Well, back in 1 Kings, they were like a post-Jehovah culture. If you, you know, I don't think that was the name that they gave it, but it was not a people that was still worshiping God in the way that they should. Now, Elijah, and we'll see next time when we study him, kind of got to the place where he was sort of, he grew into feeling sort of burdened about, about, about the state of affairs to the point where he felt sorry for himself and he sort of felt like, I'm the only one who really still believes. In fact, he wasn't. There were many faithful followers of the Lord. In fact, later in 1 Kings, we found out there's about 7,000 prophets. But Elijah, at this point, it's kind of early stages in the game. But just to put you in the mood, very, very similar to what we are living right now. There are Christians and there are people who believe the truth and follow Jesus, but we're scattered. And sometimes it's hard to really feel like we're making any difference because the culture just looks so dark. And I know that we're living in a time when many people are like, well, Christians are a part of it. They haven't lived up to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I don't know. I mean, we can argue about that another day. I think, sure, Christians are not perfect, but the entire message of Christianity is a message of grace, of a people who are and recognize we're sinners, but we are saved by grace. And could we do better in certain areas? Absolutely. That is why we need to be in a state of continuous repentance. And so often every revival movement that took place both in the Old Testament and in the you leads with the spirit of repentance. God, we see our sin. And so much of what's happening now in the churches has this movement of, I hope that there's, we're brewing this movement of revival, starting with a look at ourselves and see, man, God, I'm so aware of my sinfulness and I want to change. And that's where repentance starts. It starts in the house of God. All right, that was a little off, off here as we get back into Elijah. But just to, to kind of bring that parallel, that so much of what we study in scripture is so similar to what we're living right now. And so the applications are so relevant because it feels so real. So Elijah shows up. And by the way, again, we're, we, sh we land 
running in 1 Kings 17 with the introduction to this man. We know nothing about him other than he's from Tishba. So he's, he's a young man now and, and he shows up and he's bold and he's courageous and he shows up to the king and he's already a prophet chosen by God. So he knows his calling is, is he's anointed and chosen by God. So he's not afraid of the king because he knows where he comes from. And, and, and he comes and says to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Now, I read you the James passage to show you that Elijah had a vibrant walk with the Lord and he had in prayer um, as a form of judgment on the people of Israel, there was going to be this, this, um, this time of drought. And, 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 and if you understand the culture back then, if there was a drought, there's no food. This was ominous news. And for a prophet to come and say that to the king, you're risking your life. The king could kill you, except that his words were true because God had spoken to him. And again, the, the confidence that Elijah has in his God and the confidence that the promises of God and the way that he connected with Lord, he was able to go stand before Ahab and he will, Elijah will turn into the enemy of Ahab. In fact, in chapter 18, Ahab like looks at him as his nemesis. If you look at all into any kind of superhero movies, you know, he's like, he's like that, that kryptonite. Like it's just like, he's the guy that Ahab cannot stand. And it stems here because this guy shows up and says, it's going to be a drought for three years. And sure enough, it happens. And so, so right after he makes this proclamation, the word of the Lord came to him in verse two, depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there and come back to that word there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. And we'll see that a lot about Elijah. As he was an obedient prophet. He did what God asked him to do, even if it didn't make sense. I mean, he just literally showed up to the king, proclaimed that there would be a drought. And God says to him, okay, now you bolt. And he sends him to the middle of nowhere, the backside of the woods somewhere, a place that God loves. If you've noticed that so many of his prophets, we saw Moses, we saw, we saw David, that God preordains almost, he, he purposes for every one of his chosen people to go and spend time alone by a brook here, Cherith, or in the wilderness where they're anonymous, where they're hidden, where they can commune with God and where their faith is built up. And so much of our lives, when we spend in the wilderness, when we spend by a, a brook, we, we feel sorry for us as we wonder how can God use us in the middle of nowhere? And yet that is so, so much the model of scripture. By the way, New Testament, you see it too. The apostle Paul, after he came to Christ, he had some 14 years where he spent away getting trained, growing in the faith. And so this is the story of Elijah. So God sends him over by a brook. Now there is irony here, right? Because he sends him by a brook in the middle of a drought. And it's almost like, okay, you want to be like, okay, like, God, really? Like, but there's a drought. And so it takes faith to do that, doesn't it? And so what does, how does Elijah respond? Well, he goes and does according to the word of the Lord, because he trusts God. And, and he went and lived by the brook Cherith, that is east of the Jordan. And here it is. And the ravens, because God said to him, you'll drink from the brook, and I've commanded the ravens to feed you. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And after a while, and this is where the title of this teaching is, and after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. And, and you always expect it, right? I mean, there's no rain, a brook dries up. I'm not an archeologist and I, or earthologist, whatever you call that. And I can tell you, like, if there's a drought, the brook will dry up. And yet, um, that's exactly where God sends his chosen prophet who had become the enemy of the king of Israel because he proclaimed bad news. 
News of judgment meant to stir the hearts of the people to revival. By the way, revival would come in some form or fashion in chapter 18. We won't quite get to that today. But in this moment, there's a lot of unknowns in the land of Israel. And there's a lot of unknowns in the life of Elijah. And it's only going to get a little scarier before the clarity before things become clear. And so, and so how do you stand unshaken when the river of your life dries up? Because that is exactly what just happened in the life of Elijah. And let me give you the first uh, big idea and then we'll move on to what happens. Uh, when the river in your life dries up, don't assume that God is punishing you. I, we got to get that right out into the open because I think there's a sense in all of us and every one of the most common questions that people ask when you find out that you know anything about God or you have an interest in God or you're following God, one of the first questions that skeptics and doubters and even Christians will ask, they'll say, man, if God is good, why does he allow suffering to happen? And there's a sense too that when bad things happen, somehow there's some punishment involved that God is hateful and he brings about this thing and it's because I did something wrong. And and, and, and that thought process has so come into our own lives that, that I, if I'm not careful, I have that way of thinking. Like, oh my goodness, things aren't going smoothly. If there's no positive fruit, if there's no good answers to prayers, if there's not things that I want to happen in my life, then God must be punishing me for something. It must be my past sins. It must be that thing I did when I was 13. And on and on and on. And that is not true. And, and, and an example like this is so clear. Elijah has been nothing but obedient. He's been communing with God. He's been hearing from God. He's been obedient to God. He's been speaking on God's behalf. And yet God sends him and he's faithfully obeying the will of God. And God sends him to the brook that dries up. In fact, God is so clear in these verses. I want you to go to the brook. So you say, what happened there? Well, the most common mistake we make when things go bad is to assume that God is mad. But that's not true. The most common time... For the river to dry up, we find, is, is, is after a great act of faith. And I would add to that is before you see the next act of faith, right? So, so now the testing of Elijah is about to start. The purpose of the wilderness or the cherith or the place where, where um, the river dries up, this is a place of testing. It's meant to grow you. It's meant to stretch you. It's meant you to put your confidence not in yourself, not in what you think should happen, but in who God is in your life. And the only place that happens with boldness and solidarity and strength is the place where you can depend on no one but God. And so we see this pattern of working regularly. So it's a very common time for the river to dry up after a great act of faith, but also in preparation for the next great miracle in your life. And so the most useful thing to do when the river dries up is to listen to God's word. And we're going to see a pattern in Elijah's life that is based on listening to the word of God. He shows up to the scene because he hears a word from the Lord about the river drying up. And he goes to Cherith because he hears from God that he wants him to go by the river. And now you say, well, what happens when your river dries up? Well, well, rest assured, this should encourage you. God is not mad at you. Now, let me, let me put a little footnote here. Does sometimes, does, occasionally, does God use trials in our life or, or, or drying up rivers to get our attention if there is a need for repentance? Yeah, you better believe it. There's, there's no doubt that this is a gift of God's grace, that if things go wrong in your life, it's important to stop and evaluate and say, God, is there anything in my life that needs to be readjusted? But there is a regular uh, pattern of God working where 
you end up in trials, not because you're in trouble. By the way, uh, Jesus is a classic example. I was going to say the Apostle Paul, because his life was constant persecution and trials. And the Apostle Paul was obedient and faithful. You, you don't hear about the Apostle Paul after coming to Christ of failing. I mean, think about the Apostle Paul. He had very little uh, rebellion. And he says, I can't think of a rebellious stage in the Apostle Paul's life. But think about Jesus. Suffering was part of his story. It wasn't because God hated him. It wasn't because God was punishing him. It was because it was part of God's plan. Of course, with Jesus to save us, not to perfect him because he's already perfect. But you see how God has a purpose in the seasons of your life where the river dries up. And one little comment before I move on. It says, you shall drink from the brook in verse 4, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. God was clear. The food, the miraculous meat and package, you know, little Uber Eats that he was getting every day was there in that place. Now, Elijah, Elijah might have been like, well, I don't want to be at the river. I'd rather be in my condo or I'd rather be in, in my, my, my city, or whatever it is that he wanted in his mind. Maybe he thought, well, you know, look, I just had this interface with the king. I'm somebody now. Really, God, you're going to send me over to a land of an anonymity where no one has heard of me? And you want me to what? Eat the dirty food? The birds, the ravens were considered a dirty animal. And so he could have pulled a righteous, like, but God, don't you know what you're asking me to do? You want me to eat that food? That's dirty food. But God said, that there is where I'm going to feed you. What is your there right now in your life? The, the there. I don't like that there. I find it annoying. I find it tedious. I find it long. I find it dry. And yet God has put us here that this is our there. And why don't, why don't we ask instead that God would open our eyes to see that bag of meat, that Uber Eats, that provision that God in his grace will supply us there. What is your there? Your there might be a marriage that you're in that you never saw would end up this way. Maybe the opposite. Maybe you've lost your loved one. That's your there. It's a place where the river is dried up, a place of disappointment, a place where maybe your there is a job that you never wanted. What's your there? God's promise is that he will feed you there. He's allowed you to get there. Now, will you trust him? Like Elijah, and you say, okay, okay, but, but really, sincerely, like after a while, the river dries up, you can last how long? A week? A month? Okay, maybe a month, but then what do you do? Well, well then you lean in. So God knows exactly how long you can last. And so he's got a plan coming and you say, what is it? Well, uh, be careful. Don't hold your breath, all right? It says in verse uh, eight, then the word of the Lord came to him. And by the way, I've been meditating a lot on the sentence the last three days. The word of the Lord came. The word of the Lord came. The word. There is a, a, a hunger in our nation right now, in our culture. Even if you live outside of the United States, there's a hunger in humanity for a word from the Lord. I long for a word from the Lord. Listen, if we have a clear word from God, we can do anything. Are you, are you leaning into that? Are you asking God to pour a word into your life? Listen, that's what I'm going to pray for at the end of the session, that God would give us a word from him. We're looking for breakthrough in our life. That's breakthrough is getting a word from the Lord. You get it by digging into these pages. You get it by focusing on him. You get it by going to your brook, Cherith, and seeing the water dries up. And now you got no option but to say, God, show me what that word is. Now, now be careful because sometimes God will give you a word that might be shocking. In fact, let me give you point number two. When the river in your life dries up, look for God to act in unusual ways. 
It says the word of the Lord came to him, arise, go to Zarephath. Now I am from South Lebanon. So I'm going to take ownership here because Zarephath is in South Lebanon, maybe about 40 miles from where my dad grew up. Okay. And, and, and you might be like, that is awesome. He's sending him to the Lebanon is like the, you know, the beauty of country by the water. No, no. For the people of Israel, this was a curse. This was like, like you're sending me where, but it, it gets worse. So he says, you're going to go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon. Sidon is that shore, a big port city in South Lebanon. And, and, and he says, behold, I've commanded, this is God's plan after the river dries up. Behold, I have commanded a widow to feed you there. A widow. If you know much about the Old Testament and the culture of that day, it was not a noble thing to be a widow. It, it was a poor thing to be a widow. It was a desperate thing to be a widow. It was um, a humble thing to be a widow. And in a time of famine or a, a drought that led to famine in that season, the last place you would want to be in the house of a widow. And this widow uh, was indeed very poor. It says when he, um, uh, so he, so you say, well, uh, let me retrace here. Verse nine, arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. And then verse 10, so what did Elijah do? Well, truth to form, obedient, faithful Elijah, he arose and went to Zarephath, and then he came to the gate of the city. Behold, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. This was no rich widow. This was a widow who had nothing. So he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. Now, remember God in verse 9 had said, uh, I've commanded a widow there to feed you. Now, you're going to see in a minute, the widow has, has no context. So she hasn't heard the message yet, but God has prepared, readied her heart to receive this. Because we're going to see that she's open to what happens next, which is a miracle. Because I might have not been, let's just say that. And so, so he says to Elijah, the stranger from Israel shows up and says, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, she's already like, like kind and, and she's going to bring it. He called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And this is a little like, like you got to wonder about that, right? Cause you're like, wait, it's a famine. She's a widow. Like you're asking, you know, and, and she said, as the Lord, your God lives. She recognizes that he serves a different God. She recognizes a lot in that statement. As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterwards make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. What a promise. So she has a choice to make, right? Does she believe this God, this Yahweh? In fact, the name Elijah is, the meaning of it is my God is Yahweh. And this word Yahweh was a word that wouldn't even be uttered by the lips of the people of Israel. It was so holy and sacred. It's taken from Exodus 3 where, where God shows up to Moses and says, I am who I am. And that, that phrase is the, the letters do Y-H-W-H, which is God who makes covenant and keeps covenant sovereign over all things. There's a lot in a name. And so Elijah is representing him. And now this woman who has nothing has to decide, do I, prom do I believe this promise maker? Do I take a step of faith, even though 
Elijah is a stranger. He's from another country that doesn't like her. You know, they're, they're opposing countries and she has to decide. And how uh, unusual faith is when God opens our eyes to hear and to see the truth. Many of you who have put your faith in Jesus, you, you can tell your stories and tell how, man, I, I was walking one way and I, and, I, and, I, and I didn't really understand anything, but I hated Jesus. I hear people who tell me like, I hated Jesus. And then, and then one day I heard the message and I believed and everything in your life changed. It's almost like this, there's this crossroad that's going to happen here. And so this woman has to decide and she's being asked a lot. She's got this much and she recognizes I've got nothing but a little bit of flour. And Elijah's like, yeah, but give it to God first. I mean, he's representative of God, but he's like, are you going to give this to, are you going to offer it to God first? And, uh, this lesson, not just about faith, but really about us and how we live our life with our resources and so easy to hoard, isn't it? And yet God's message is the opposite of hoarding. It's a message of giving liberally, of opening your hands and giving, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it's uh, fear and inciting. And uh, verse 15, the widow, um, no wonder, by the way, that Jesus refers to this widow. One of the few references to, to people in the Old Testament, Jonah was one and that Jesus referred to, and the widow of Zarephath was another. And... Um, in her response, she went and did as Elijah said. And she and, and he and her household ate for many days. She chose to believe God. Elijah had shown a pattern in his life of believing God and acting by faith. And now she too chooses to believe God. And so every day God would provide, much like he did in the wilderness with the manna. You know, you got to wonder, why didn't he give her enough for a month? Maybe it was to protect her. Maybe if people in the town knew that she had enough food for a month, they would have raided the house. We don't know, but it was a day by day faith, much like the life of Elijah, much like our life, the Christian life is a moment by moment, day by day reliance on God. I want information ahead of time. I struggle with this concept. I know many of you understand that. I want the memo. I want, okay, Lena, here's what's going to happen. And then I'm like, okay, then I can wait. No problem. But that is not God's way. We walk by faith and not by sight because the point isn't the plan. The point is the plan giver. Do you trust him? Do you trust that he's good? Do you trust that he provides, that he loves you so deeply that even though you feel like you've got nothing but a little bag of flour in your house, it makes no sense to give it to a prophet you don't even know, and yet this God has captured your heart in such a way. Listen, that's revival. And so the jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Listen to this last point. Oh, because things are going to get rocky again. See, I'd like to tell you that, yeah, it worked out great for the life of the widow, but, but, but not yet. For a while it did, and then another testing of faith. And so here's the third point, just to summarize point one and two again. When the river in your life dries up, don't assume that God is punishing you. Number two, when the river in your life dries up, look for God to act in unusual ways. God's unusual ways will take you where you never intended to go and teach you what you never expected to learn. God's unusual ways are sometimes miraculous and always surprising. And God's unusual ways are meant to prepare you for more. So now we get to big point number three. When the river in your life dries up, you can be certain that it will happen again. Problems will come again. You will face another dead end in your life. It's inevitable. It's a way of this broken world. There will come a day when Jesus reigns physically over the whole earth. He's coming again. This is something we need to look forward to. We need to be telling the story to each other again and again. This is not the end of the story. 
Our life doesn't end with the next election. Whoever wins, do you understand there's more coming? And the Christian, if you don't continuously replay the truth of how the story ends, evil will be defeated. Christ has already ruled over evil on the cross, but someday Satan will be no more and evil will be no more and brokenness will be no more. And so there's a temporary season right now where we see evil play out, but not forever. And so we need to be reviewing this message in our heart. But until then, we will go from trial to trial. Why? Because trials teach us dependence. Trials open our eyes to the goodness and ability and power of God. Trials move people around us, not just in us. So there's not just for us, they're for people around us. And so here's this widow who's now taking a step of faith. She's rejoicing every night. They sit at the table, they hold hands, they pray. They're rejoicing this Yahweh. People in the neighborhood are talking about it maybe. And then what happens? Here we go. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house became ill. Illness is a part of life, isn't it? Many of you are so familiar with that in this COVID season. You've seen loved ones fall sick. It's not unusual, but this illness in this story is going to radically turn into a miracle. And not every illness in today's age will, but in this case, God chooses to do this. And so his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, and just again, so like us, you're gonna see what she says. And I'm telling you, I see myself in her words. She says to him, what have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. So her first instinct is exactly what I just told you. God doesn't bring badness in our life to punish us, but that's her instinct. She's like, I must've done something bad in my life. You're, you're punishing me for the past. And, and he says to her, give me your son. So here's her point of pain, her son has died. And she's so broken and, and can God really ask you of the last thing you care about in your life? And indeed, Elijah says, give me your son. So she has to decide again, do I trust this prophet or not? And, and he took him from her arms. And so sometimes I find that same thing has to happen in our life. God has to help us surrender the thing that we want the most. So he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord. Here's the man of prayer who learned to pray. He was used by God because he prayed. He was much like us, we're told in James. This is, he was no superhero of prayer. He was like you and me. And I know if you're like me, you're going, really? Because my prayer life is not so hot. And yet God says his nature was like ours. And so the same trials that we face in prayer, he faced, but he overcame them. And he saw God do miraculous things because he actually prayed unlike us so with same natures, but he prayed. And many of us stop praying too soon or don't pray fervently enough. But this man had learned that God is a God who could be trusted. So he cries out to the Lord and he says, oh Lord, my God. And you see now an intimacy in conversation, a closeness and openness of heart that he is just touching. He says, oh Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? So he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord. Oh, Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. So it's the first, the first resurrection story in the Old Testament. It's a powerful story. And I don't know why there are certain instances in the scriptures that God chooses to do that. And in the New Testament, there's a couple of times where Jesus miraculously, there was a, the, a son of a widow who had, um, he saw, Jesus saw a procession. He was dead and he raised him to life. I mean, there's Lazarus, but, but not everybody who was dead was raised to life in that moment. 
course, in eternity, people will be raised who know the Lord. But, but, but in those moments, for whatever reason, God in his sovereignty chose to do this miracle. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you're a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Did she not know before? No, I think she knew, but I think her faith needed to be stronger. I think many of us struggle with faith, ought to be encouraged by the story. There's, there's, God understands and there's, there's seasons where he will bless and miraculously answer to strengthen our faith. Got an email from a friend today and she asked me yesterday to pray for a situation in her home. She didn't tell me the details. I prayed briefly. Honestly, I did not have any big Elijah prayer. It was brief. Today, she sent me a prayer answer and said, praise God, I'm so touched that you prayed for me. God answered. And then she says, can you pray this morning? She says, can you pray again for my other child? There's a big situation we're going through. So afternoon, and again, passing prayer. I prayed, but passing. This afternoon, responded again, said how God had answered again miraculously. And her heart, you could hear her faith exploding through the pages of the email. And I thought, for a minute, I thought, how ironic. I didn't even pray that hard because it wasn't my prayers. It was a good God who saw the heart of this mom. And he chose in this moment to miraculously answer because maybe her faith needed that right now. I've had situations in my life where I've prayed and God hasn't answered in the way I've wanted. And, and that's okay. That happens too. And we'll see in Elijah's life that will happen later. I mean, so, so it's not that, oh my gosh, that's how we know God is good because he answers. But, but in this season, in this place, they needed that. Why? Well, for a number of reasons, I believe. And so when the river in your life dries up, you can be certain that it will happen again. Why? Well, here's, here's some reasons. Today's miracles prepare you for tomorrow's challenges. I believe sometimes God just answers us miraculously because he knows what's coming. And for Elijah, something was coming in 1 Kings 18. You can read that at the end of this after we pray in a moment. You can read the story. And what happens in, in 1 Kings 18 is short of miraculous. It is. It's not short of miraculous. It is miraculous. Elijah takes on the hundreds of Baal worshipers, prophets, and, and prays that God would bring fire from heaven over an altar. And God does that. I'm telling you, it's a crazy story. And only a man who has seen God do the miraculous would have the capacity to pray to that degree. He's experienced God. He's seen God. He's believed God. He's seen that God gives promises and does things. And now he goes against the enemies of God and, and, and something beyond happens. And so today's miracles are meant to prepare you for tomorrow's challenges. That wasn't an easy face-to-face -face with King Ahab when he goes back there, and, but, but, it was, but, but, but God, he was ready. And so after three and a half years of spending time at the river and spending time with a widow and then spending time with a, with a dead boy, now Elijah's ready because he's seen God move. And so today's miracles prepare you for tomorrow's challenges. Today's answers propel you for tomorrow's purposes. The purpose of Elijah's life was not to spend the rest of his life in a widow's home. The purpose of Elijah's life was to, was to call a nation to revival. The purpose of Elijah's life was to raise up attention to the Lord God Almighty, to, to, to defeat the enemies of God and to declare that God is in fact Yahweh. And then you see God wasn't done with him. And just because you're living there right now doesn't mean you're going to stay there. And there's such encouragement in that. Your season of there will end. God will move you sometimes to a widow's home but other times back into the limelight where you pray the fire of heaven to come down and where God will bring an amount of revival around you through you. So today's provisions ought to provide for you until tomorrow's problems come to pass again, until tomorrow's purposes come to pass in your life. There's a purpose for the miracles in your life. 
And God is going to bring them. I'm confident of it. Many of you can already tell of those things happening in your life. And so what do you do when the river dries up? Number one, don't assume that God is punishing you. Number two, look for God to act in unusual ways. And number three, be sure it will happen again, but it will only be in preparation for you for what's more to come in your life. I really believe that with all my heart. We're living in a day where the opportunity to be the light of Christ, to provide hope in a dark culture is big. The opportunity is big. Let us not become sidetracked with the noise and the distraction of politics and, and hatred and, and sides. Let us, let us lift above that and see clearly to stay focused, our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Let us do what God has asked us to do, which is to be known by our love and to look for opportunities, maybe in the backside of the woods with a widow somewhere where nobody can see, but where you know you're living out in obedience, God's will for your life. And you just wait. God might still have coming down the pike, fire from heaven coming through you because you've shown a life of faithfulness and obedience. So God, we really look forward to that. And so God, even as I close, I'll pray in a minute for the people, but I just want to ask you to help us to live out these principles in our life. This is a high calling and we thank you for this lesson. In Jesus' name, amen. 